My boys and I love to go to Carowinds to ride roller coasters, and one of our favorites is called the Scream Weaver. We've got a picture of that, and uh, you get into like this cage, uh, and you sit on this bench, and these cars go around and around in a circle, and they build up kind of speed and and force and that sort of thing, and then uh, there's this metal bar that they're all attached to, and it kind of goes up vertically to where you're like a big flower and you're just kind of spinning around and around and so you're looking straight ahead you're going straight up then you're going straight down and just doing the whole thing again and again and it's a lot of fun and you can get super dizzy especially when you look out the side of the cars but one of the best parts about it is trying to pick your legs up because of the gravity is intensified and so when you try to pick your leg up off the ground it's something like this you know it just takes every ounce of strength just to get your your foot off the off the ground like like an inch. And so we always have these competitions to see how high we can pick our feet up and how long we can keep them in the air. And it's not very long because that centrifugal force is just pulling your feet and your legs down. And so that's one way to not get dizzy, try to focus on picking your legs up. But uh, if you haven't done that, go to Carowinds, check that out. And it's a lot of fun. But, you know, when you when you think about that, you know, that there's this this invisible force that affects our everyday life, right? You know, how do people begin to understand that? And so like my hat's off to like Isaac Newton, who in the 17th century discovered what gravity was. And you know, he had apples and all that sort of thing. He didn't have roller coasters, but what a genius. And to be able to see things that are real that the rest of us can't see and to explain that and to create mathematical or, you know, calculations for all that. And just truly, he was such a genius. And it You know, it got me to thinking about, you know, what other forces are real that we can't see but still have an impact on our lives? And those other invisible forces, which I think that they're out there, whether it's a physical force or a spiritual force, right? How how do those forces affect us uh, for the good and for the bad? And how can we become aware of what some of these forces are? And so today I'd like to spend some time thinking about you know, what are these unseen things in our world that are real, that affect our everyday lives, and how can we notice them, and, and what can we learn about them? So we're going we're gonna to think about that. And in our small groups this week, as we've kicked off this new worship series of, of Love South Park, we're going to be reading a book by a man named Tom Berlin, and it's called Defying Gravity. And he takes the idea of gravity that Isaac Newton discovered and that my boys and I experience on the roller coaster ride at Carowinds, And he applies it to the way that we deal with our money. And he calls it financial gravity. And he says there's a pull in our life upon us to spend money. And he says that pull can be a good pull. It can can help us to spend money on the things that we need to survive. We need to spend money on clothes. And we need to spend money on food. And we need to spend money on shelter, right? The basic necessities of life. So, you know, from that standpoint, this pull upon our financial resources can be a very good thing. But he says that for most of us, especially those of us living in America, that that financial gravity pull can become something that's, that's a bad thing. It goes beyond the good things that we need to, to chasing after things that we want. And pretty soon that, that pull upon our financial resources becomes stronger than just normal activity. It can become like a black hole and it can suck out all of our resources and leave us empty uh, and wanting more and also end up in debt. 
And just, just think about it in our lives, how we spend our money. And when we turn on the television or we're on the internet or we're out in the mall, right? We receive a, a barrage of messages that say, if you want to be happy, if you want to be successful, if you want to you know, live the American dream, then all you have to do is purchase this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And if we're not careful, we're going to get sucked into that black hole of financial gravity and we're going to, we're going to fall for the lies. And we're going to say, yeah, I want to be happy. I want to be popular. I want to be successful. I want to arrive and make it. And so I want a bigger house or a better car, fancier clothes. I want all these things that I don't need. And so we get out our credit cards and our checkbooks and our, our, our Apple Pay. And pretty soon we've got all this stuff and it hasn't made us happy for the long term, right? Maybe short-term happiness, absolutely. We, we love our stuff, but, but as soon as we get something, we want something else. And we want something else. And we think the next thing's going to make us happy and our life's going to be complete. But everything we buy leaves us wanting more. And pretty soon we, we have a whole house full of stuff that we don't use. And we're left feeling empty. And then we look at our, 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 our bank accounts and we see that a lot of us are struggling with debt. And we don't know how we're going to make it. We don't know we're going to have to, how we're going to crawl out of the black hole. And we just, we feel the, 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 the black hole sucking us in this, this financial gravity that's gone out of control. And, and Tom Berlin writes about, he says, it's kind of like if we were to go to Jupiter, right? If, if you weigh like 150 pounds on the earth, on Jupiter, you would weigh like 350 pounds. And so it'd be like me on that roller coaster ride. You're trying just to do everyday things and you're just kind of like stuck and you're feeling this force upon you. And I'm just wondering if anyone here today feels the black hole of financial gravity just sucking the life out of you. And you try to pick your legs up and you can't. You try to move and you can't. You're just, you're just being sucked down by this invisible force that's real. You can't see it, but it's real. And it's messing up your life. Right? And so today I got a, a Charlotte Hornets uh, basketball. I got this from a good friend, Cole, Cole Bryant. And so I uh, got this at the game. And uh, it was kind of a bummer. Last night we lost a, a close one. But, uh, you know, on any given day on planet Earth, this is a very small mini basketball. And, you know, I should be able to throw that up like, you know, 30 feet up in the air. But, you know, if you think about this, is, this is our, our financial resources. And you think about the black holes that I'm talking about and about that, that gravity that, you know, you need this, you need that, you need this. And we just keep spending. And spending and spending and spending, and we're in debt and debt and debt and debt. And, you know, pretty soon, you know, our financial resources, they weigh a ton and, and we can't even, you know, throw it up an inch. It just continues to, you know, pull us down and pull us down and pull us down and pull us down when it should be light. But it's heavy. How many of us feel that heaviness of the pull of financial gravity in our lives? Now, the good news is that Jesus is ready to help us with this, and he talks about money more than anything uh, with the exception of the kingdom of heaven when he's in the scriptures, right? So it's an important thing. Jesus realizes that this is something that's very powerful uh, and it can mess up our lives. And so let's look at in the Bible today. We're going to be in the New Testament and see some advice from, from Paul, who was a pastor in the first century and wrote most of the New Testament. We're going to see some advice from Jesus. So let's start with Paul. We're going to be uh, in 1 Timothy in the New Testament. Timothy was a young pastor. Paul was writing him a letter to give him some advice. And uh, the first verse, you might have heard something that sounds like this out in the world. It says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
Now, the way that we've probably heard that is that money's the root of all evil, right? That's not what it says. It says the love of money, right? Money's not good or bad in and of itself, but our love for money is a root, not the root, of all kinds of evil, right? Not every evil, but all kinds of evil. Paul's saying, Timothy, money can wreck your life, right? Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. There's something unique about money that nothing else on all the earth has the same power uh, that money does to keep us far from God, to cause us to stray from God, right? It says that, you know, how we spend our money and how we spend our time shows what we love, right? So we spend a lot of our money, we spend a lot of our resources on the things that we love in life. And so Paul's saying to Timothy, be careful, right? Don't let money and stuff become your God, Because for most people on the planet, money and stuff does displace the real God and becomes what we worship, right? And so Paul says, be careful because that's like that financial gravity. It's going to suck you down. It's going to leave you empty and in debt and you're going to be broken, right? So Paul's trying to give him some good advice. So now let's go back to Jesus. We're going to be in Matthew's gospel. It's the first book of the New Testament. A gospel means the good news about Jesus. It's the life and and teachings of Jesus. And it's written by a man named Matthew, who was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, disciples, a true eyewitness. And, And Jesus is going to run into a young man who's very wealthy. A lot of people call this the rich young ruler. And uh, he has some questions for Jesus. And so let's see what Jesus teaches or tries to teach this rich young man about money. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? I'd love to spend eternity with you in the glorious kingdom of God, Jesus. What, what do I need to do to get that, right? That's probably a question that, that we'd like to have an answer to. Jesus says, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. God gave you commands. He's the one that knows, right? Keep the commandments. Which ones, the young man inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And I can just kind of envision the young man, you know, going, check, check. Check, check, check. Hey, I'm going to heaven. Check, check, check. I'm doing all these things. Check, check. I I got that, Jesus, right? I'm good with this, right? All these things I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And Jesus then answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus knows this man's story, and he knows that money is his God. His stuff is his God. And so he's saying, right, you've done all the other things, but, but the one thing that's holding you back, you need to let go of. Sell your, sell your possessions, give the money to the poor, then come follow me. Right? And, and a lot of biblical scholars think that Jesus is saying to him, I'm going to make you the 13th disciple. Right? You're going to be there with Peter and James and John and Matthew. and right? I'm going to show you miracles. I'm going to allow you to perform miracles. You're, you're going to be with me on the earth. You're going to be in, you know, there's going to be a throne room in heaven. You're going to be sitting on one of those thrones. right? If you do this and come follow me, man, then, then you're going to be like the 13th disciple. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He wanted to be the 13th disciple. He wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to live forever in the glorious kingdom of God. But he loved his stuff and his possessions more. And he walked away from Jesus. And he said, it said that he was sad. 
His stuff's not going to make him happy, but he couldn't give it up. He couldn't give it up to follow Jesus in person as the next, like the 13th disciple, because money has the power like nothing else to separate us from God. And so this young man walked away from Jesus, walked away from the chance of a lifetime. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not impossible, but it's hard, right? Because money can become our God, right? Who's rich? Well, if we're living in America and we're working a, you know, a, a job, we're, we're richer than probably 90% of all the world. So who's rich? It's, it's, it's you and me, right? It's you and me. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So what? So what does this mean? What is Jesus trying to teach us? What's the point, right? I would say, you know, one of the the so what moments here is that Jesus beat Newton to the punch, right? Jesus beat Newton to the punch that Jesus recognizes there are invisible forces that are real in the world and they can work for us or they can work against us. And so Jesus tried to help this young man understand that, say, look, right? In your case, stuff and money is your God. If you want to follow me, you have to let go of your false God and follow me. How many of us sitting in here today could be put in this young man's place to where our God is our stuff, our possessions, and our money? And are we willing to let go of that to follow Christ, right? This this is challenging stuff. And what's going on with this rich young ruler was that it wasn't God's will be done. It was my will be done, right? He, He didn't really want to be in the kingdom of God. He liked being in the kingdom of himself more than he liked living in the kingdom of God. And I wonder which kingdom, brothers and sisters, are we living in? Are we living in our kingdom or are we trying to live in the kingdom of God that is among us on the earth already kind of out there around the world, right? Which is our kingdom? Because the rich young ruler, it was about his kingdom, right? Like what he controlled, what he influenced, his little sphere where it became the whole world. And the sad thing is that God has created us to enjoy life to be in relationships with God and with each other, and to make a difference in the world. We're supposed to be a positive influence on the world. This rich young ruler could have been a positive influence on the entire world, but he was so caught up in his kingdom, he thought his little sphere of of influence was the whole world, and he totally missed out on everything else that Jesus was doing. How many of us live in our kingdom rather than living in God's kingdom? Because God's kingdom is different than ours. In our kingdom, we're wounded. In God's kingdom, we're healed. In our kingdom, we hold grudges and we stay bitter against people. In God's kingdom, we find forgiveness and we're able to forgive other people. In our kingdom, we wrestle with guilt and we wrestle with shame. In God's kingdom, we find joy and we find peace. In our kingdom, we get everything that we can possibly get and it leaves us wanting more, feeling absolutely empty on the inside. In God's kingdom, Jesus comes to give us life to the full. Which kingdom are you a citizen of, my brothers and sisters? Right? To defy gravity, right? Right? Like to, to give God our, our, our money. And also I would say to give God our time. Right? There's, there's this financial gravity, but there's this temporal gravity. Right? The, there's just forces in our world trying to take our time and take our money. Right? To defy that gravity and to be able to use our time and our money for God and the world, we have to follow Jesus. 
Right? To defy gravity, we have to follow Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, he inspires us to be generous with our time and money to share with the world, to do God's work in the world through things like ministry. So we're called to defy the financial gravity, the temporal gravity, right? To surrender our time and our money to God. Another challenge, I think, another gravity well or another black hole, if you will, uh, is specific, I think, for the Christian church in the world right now. Uh, for the first time in American history, the, the, the favorite religious, the fastest growing religious preference, you know, when you ask people what's your religious preference, right? the fastest growing one, it's not Baptist, it's not Methodist, it's not Protestant, it's not Catholic, it's none. Right? I don't want to have anything to do with religion or with God. Right? And so, so our children, our grandchildren, our friends, the people that we work with, the people that live in our neighborhoods, people in our families, are close to coming to the point that entire generations are not going to know the loving power of Jesus Christ, right? It's just sad. And so the church is fighting the gravity, the gravitational pull of decline, right? A lot of churches are getting smaller. A lot of churches are closing their doors. Our denomination, the United Methodist Church, expects to close one out of three churches in the next few years because we're just not effectively being relevant to our communities anymore. And our own church of 50 years went through a 20-year skid where we lost a bunch of people. And so, you know, we made a conscious decision five years ago to say, you know what, we're going to defy the gravity of the decline of the Christian church in America. Right? God wants us to thrive. And we thrived when this was the Sharon community. And now that it's the South Park community, we've got to figure out how to do that. So we relaunched our church and our ministries and we've renamed ourselves and all that sort of thing. And the goal is to reach our community for Jesus. Right? So that people in South Park can come to know who Jesus is. And, and, and so that's why we're building this new building that Marcia and Kevin were talking about and so excited about. Right, This mixed-use development, this 24-7 community where we're going to come and we're going to have 12,000 people who eat and shop and work and, and play. And, and in the middle of that is going to be the church. And it's going to be our opportunity to establish relationships so we can tell people, show people how much that Jesus loves them. Right, This is our Love South Park initiative. And so... Um, uh, we've got some pictures. Uh, Maylan, if you'll just uh, scroll through those pictures and you can kind of see some of what uh, our new campus is going to look like. And uh, it's just amazing what God's called us to do. Uh, this is a $30 million project. And our goal over the next month is to, is to come back and, and, to, and to, as, a, as a capital campaign to, to make commitments to raise $1.65 million. That, that's our skin in the game, right? Of the $30 million project, it's $1.65 million that we're called to raise through a capital campaign so that we can build this campus, so that we can love our neighbors as ourselves, so that, that we can love South Park. And so uh, that's, that's an exciting opportunity that we have. And to do that, we're going to have to defy some gravity. We're going to have to defy the gravity of money, defy the gravity of, of time, defy the gravity of church decline. And, and the goal is three weeks from today, on November the 18th, is, is that 100% of us come and we make two commitments to God on November the 18th. The first commitment is our annual commitment, our stewardship commitment of how we're going to serve God and give money to fund the ministries of the church for 2019, right? We do this every year. We did it last year. We did it the year before. We've got a, uh, 
You're going to get a stewardship card that looks like this, and you open that up, and it has all the, all the ways that you can serve God with your time. Like, will I serve with children's ministries? Will I serve with students? Will I serve on setup and takedown? Will I sing on the, in the praise team? You know, you know, how am I going to give God my time? And then what's my financial contribution going to be to fund the ministries of the church in 2019? So, so we do this every year. We're going to do it again for 2019. So in three weeks, we'll ask everybody in the church or every family in the church to, to fill this out and to, to make a commitment to God, right? And then the second thing we're going to ask everybody to do is, is to take this card. It's a, it's, a, it's a capital campaign commitment card to say, for the next two years, over and above what I'm already giving to God to support the ministries of the church, this is what I'm going to give to God through the capital campaign, right? And so we'll be making two commitments, one for the annual commitment that we make every year, and then over and above that, what is God calling me to give to the church over the next two years so that we can love South Park, build this mixed-use development, put ourselves in a position to reach 12,000 people a week for Jesus Christ, right? Our children, our grandchildren, our friends, the, the generations that don't know who Jesus is, right? That is what we're going to be asking you to do in three weeks. So my wife and I, Laura and I, have been thinking and praying about this for a long time, right? That's what leaders do. We go first. And so uh, we've been thinking a lot about this. And so I just want to invite you to kind of get a glimpse of, of our discussions and our thought process in, in, in going through this. Right? So we are basically a one-income family. I work full-time for the church, and Laura stays home with our boys. This is a choice that we have made to do, and we think it, it works well for our family. And so I'm grateful to you for the salary that you pay me that allows us to do this. And, and, and that's very generous and, and gracious of you. Even with that, though, we have to make financial sacrifices because we're you know, primarily a one-income family. And so we, do, we make some sacrifices, right? There's home improvement projects that we would love or my wife would love for us to do. And we're not able to fund those. And it's okay, right? It's a choice we made. Uh, our boys have classmates that go on all these fancy vacations all the time. And we go on some of them, but not as many of them. And so, you know, we have to hear from the boys, well, why can't we do what X or Y is doing? And, you know, that's okay. That's, we still have a lot of fun and we, we do great things talking with my financial advisor recently and saying, Kyle, you know, you've done a decent job on your retirement savings, your emergency fund savings, and your college savings, but now is the time for you to start making more contributions to that, and you really need to catch up on all three of those areas. Now's not the time to start thinking about giving more money to the church, right? So, so here's that sort of dilemma that, that we're in right now, and we're having these conversations. Now, Laura and I believe in the biblical concept of tithing, of giving at least 10% to God uh, of our gross revenue. And so that's what we do. We give 10% of our gross revenue that I, I get from, from the church. We give that back to God through the ministries of the church because that's just, you know, you see that in Scripture all the time. It's a great, great place to be doing, and that's a sacrifice for us to do that. And I know some of you are thinking, well, you're the pastor. You're giving money to the church. They're going to give it back to you. Big deal. What's the sacrifice, right? That's not a big, you know, big sacrifice, right? But it is, right? If you were to give 10% of your income back to your employer, right, you're out 10% of your money, right? So that's what I'm doing. I'm giving that back to God. And Laura and I do that gratefully because we believe that God takes care of us, and he does. We have everything that we need. 
We don't have everything that we want, right? But we have everything that we need, and we don't have everything that we want. But we are in a great position. Now, in addition to the 10% that we give to the church of my gross income, uh, we, we, we give to other things. The Bible calls these offerings, right? We sponsor a child in Haiti. We have a monthly fee that, that we have drafted out of our bank account so that this young man named Ezekiel can go to school, he can have a hot meal, and he can go to church every week. And that's in addition to what we give to the church. We also give to the Christmas Eve offering every year in addition to all those things, right? It's an offering on top of our tithe. It's an offering on what we do, uh, you know, because we believe in the Christmas Eve offering. And it's a powerful thing. We, we give to our boys' school a, a lot, right? There's all kinds of things with our tithes and our offerings that we give. So, so when we fill out our stewardship card, right, we're, we're going to continue doing that for 2019. Uh, and now we're having the conversations, the prayerful conversations. What are we going to give to the capital campaign over and above that? Because right? we don't think we can back off doing what we're doing. We're, we're not going to stop giving to the church's ministry so we can support the building, right? Because then the ministries of the church suffer. If we stop giving to Ezekiel and Haiti, then he might not have a, a donor, so he can't go to school anymore. We're not going to stop supporting the Christmas Eve offering because we believe in the Christmas Eve offering. So now we're having these prayerful conversations of, okay, what are we going to do? All right? And so Laura has started teaching piano. Uh, she's taking on new students. And so that's an, an option for us to have income to help fund capital campaign. We're looking at our savings. Is there something that we can do from our savings that we can give to God and trust God with that? And also from our everyday expenses. You know, what can we cut out so that we can give more to God because we believe in what God's called us to do? So, so this is where we are. And so we've been praying a lot about that. And uh, uh, in the journals that we gave out to you last week, this week, uh, for this series that I hope you know, you're taking notes with and using in your small groups and your classes, on page 15, there's a gift guide there that shows the, the, the types of gifts that we need to bring in as a congregation to reach $1.65 million for this project. And so, you know, at the bottom end, it says, you know, we need so many families to give like $3,000 over the two-year period. You know, so many families to give 5000 so many to give 10000 you know, and, and that goes up to six figures, right? And, and so when Laura and I looked at that gift guide, uh, we, we see a number that, that we feel comfortable with. That, you know, that would take some sacrifice, but it's not going to take a lot of sacrifice, right? You're, that's financial gravity, right? Our eyes go to the lowest number that we think we can do, and it's not going to really interrupt our lifestyle, right? Uh, and, but then there's a verse in there where King David says, I won't give to God anything that costs me nothing, right? It must be a sacrificial gift to God. And so where Laura and I are in our discussions, we, we, we see that, you know, gravitational, financial gravity number that, you know, we could do comfortably or a little bit of a stretch for us, right? And so we're praying about the number above that. And we're also praying about the number above that to say, God, not sure quite how we could do that, but if we trust you and believe in you and we sacrifice, we can get there. That's where our discussion is right now. Now, we have three weeks to make that as a congregation, but Laura and I have one week to make that because next Sunday uh, at 7 o'clock in the evening at Wesley United Methodist Church, we're going to have a special worship service, and, and we're inviting anyone in the church who wants to come, but especially our leaders in the church to come and make their commitments a couple of weeks early. 
Because King David did this in the Bible when he was raising money to build the temple of God in the Old Testament. Got some of the leaders together and said, this is what I'm going to do. This is what you're going to do. Right? And so, so we lead as leaders. We go first. And then we'll share that with the congregation and say, hey, you know, we're this much closer to our goal. And, and we're going to be able to get past that. Right? That's what you know, David did. And so Laura and I have one week left to make our, our prayerful decision. You all have three weeks. Uh, but you're welcome to come next week as well. And so what I'm asking you to do is would you consider making a commitment to make a commitment on November the 18th? Would you today say to God, God, I'm going to turn in two cards on November the 18th. I don't know what those numbers are going to be. I don't know what my time commitment's going to be. But God, in three weeks, I'm going to come into this church and I'm going to have two cards and I'm going to make these commitments for you. Right? That is my challenge to you today. Will you today, in your own heart, Talk to your family in, in your own ways. Will you make the commitment to make a commitment on November the 18th? Right? And I think about Jesus. I think about this basketball. and right, This basketball represents right, uh, our resources, our money and our time. And we think about the black hole right, that, that, that wants to suck this down and make it so heavy and say, right, you, you need money for this. You need your time spent on this right? in, in so many ways that are not godly. And I think about Jesus and what he did for us when he left the kingdom of heaven, the full kingdom of heaven, where he's God in charge, everything's good, and he came to the earth. And he became a human being, a fragile human being. And he was still God, but but he was he became human. And he, he learned what it was like to, to hurt. And he learned what it was like to be betrayed and, and to be ridiculed and made fun of. He learned what it was like to be physically tortured. And he even offered his life up for us, being nailed to a cross, right? Jesus gave everything for us. He sacrificed everything for us. If he can do that for us, then what a privilege it is for us to give him some of our money and some of our time back to be a part of something bigger than who we are, to say, God, I'm all in for what the church is doing. I'm all in for reaching people for Jesus, right? And, and God, I want to follow you, and I want to be generous with my time. I want to be generous with my money. And I think the more that we think like that and invite Jesus in, then, you know, this, this basketball that weighs like 5,000 pounds right on Jupiter, it becomes lighter and lighter and lighter, and Jesus lets us break the force of gravity. We defy gravity. We defy financial gravity. We, we defy temporal gravity. We defy the decline of the church gravity. And we live life to the full as individuals, as families, as a congregation. And we help everyone we know at least hear the good news of Jesus. And many of them will be saved. Would you make a commitment to make a commitment to God on November the 18th? Join Laura and me in these prayerful, soul-searching conversations to make God the God of our lives, not money and not stuff. Will you ask God to help all of us to defy gravity and reach people in the name of Jesus? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.